0: Hello again everyone and welcome to Now We're Talking, a podcast about communication skills. I'm Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo and I'm here again today with one of my students, Megan, and we're going to talk about fallacies apparently, which means a whole lot of Donald Trump who doesn't seem to be able to uh, reason without employing fallacies ever. Um, So that's good. Hi Megan, how are you?
1: Good, how are you
0: Rob? Good, good. So what do you want to tell us about
1: fallacies? Alright, so uh, being a communication student, but also a social development student, I've always had a personal concern with um, how to be ethical communication practices when you're trying to influence other people Um, and this became specifically more troublesome uh, when i started to look into public speaking where the speaker has an opportunity to have just so much power and influence over so many people all at once mind you that's if it's done successfully and donald trump for me doesn't really do it um However, a way to avoid misleading an audience is to avoid using fallacious reasoning, which is often what Donald Trump employs, Um, and so instead we should try to base arguments or find arguments um, that are sound that use evidence and rationale behind them. So I have some examples first that I'd like to go over about the different fallacies that can occur when you're public speaking or even in your own writing. First off, there's the false dilemma. This is where a speaker offers limited options to an audience uh, when there are much more available. The best example I can think of is my mom. There is a Portuguese dish that my whole family and I, my brother and I, always want. It's with beans. It's spicy. It's a like a staple in our culture. And my mom never, ever, 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 ever gives us the option to eat that for dinner. Like ever. Um, and she would always say you know either pasta or meat, uh, chicken or fish, uh, and never once did this bean dish come up and we would ask for it and she would say nope it's not available even though we for sure knew that there were beans in the house and it was totally able to happen. Um, So here you can see that my mom is giving my brother and I a false dilemma about what's available for dinner. Um, I kind of heard some similar things happen with the past presidential election uh, with Trump and Hillary, um, there was a lot of people going around campus saying you either support Hillary Clinton for president or you don't believe in women's rights, which was... Yeah, <laughs> that is a shockingly good example. There
0: are a lot of political examples like that where people just state two extreme positions. You know, yeah, support Hillary or you're hostile to or somehow against women. Um Is Yes, Uh, it reminds me that during the Vietnam War, it was America, love it or leave it was a slogan for a lot of the uh, a lot of those on the right. And of course, that was those weren't the choices you could critique America while also loving it, um, but not for those people.
1: So. Yeah, for me personally, I don't know if I was American, I think I would have a hard time between choosing the presidents. I mean, maybe not too hard. It was of a, a time, very hard like time for me. <laughs> it was,
0: I wasn't happy to vote for Hillary. I did reluctantly and not because my I wasn't considering not voting her <laughs> because I didn't I was hostile to women or something like that. Yeah.
1: So. Yeah. All right. And so the next fallacy we're going to talk about is the ad hominem. Which, if you could see my notes right now, there is Trump in capital letters beside it. Um, and ad hominem is when we are attacking a person rather than their claim or the actual work that they've been doing. Um, Trump does this all the time, every chance that he has. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone listening or even you, Rob, are aware of this, but the New York Times actually has, like, a list of when he's done it in the past, and it's, like, crazy long um some of those include when he's talking about marco rubio and he constantly calls him little marco or he frequently talks about how sweaty he is. Like there was an article that came up that he said that I think eight times in seven weeks or something crazy like that. Um, So again, here he's not actually talking about the work or claims that Marco is making, but rather just making a personal attack. Um, Another example of Trump doing this is when he talks about uh, Obama and he made reference that he had an extremely credible source that told him that Obama's birth certificate was a fraud and that, therefore, um, he, like, shouldn't be president, he's not American enough, He so on and so forth. Um, so, again, that's another fallacy that Trump tends to employ there.
0: So, in this one, too, I think, like, one of the things that's happening communicatively is um, – and this is why Trump is effective in some sense he's distracting the audience from the claim that's being made also so if you don't like Obama and you want to make fun of Obama and then uh, the audience does not pay attention to the substance of some policy or Uh, the agenda that the Democrats are trying to advance and pay attention to the character of the person advancing it, then there's confusion or there's at least distraction away from the substance of the real issue. And of course, ironically, the other day, Trump just embraced Obama's gun control policies, (laughs) uh, which he will do while at the same time making fun of Obama or attacking his character. Um, But in, uh, in, in public speaking events, you should not do that. You should address your claims to the substance of what uh, is being advanced or not being advanced, et cetera. Uh, otherwise, there's just no, oftentimes, there's no relationship or no necessary relationship between a person's character. Whether Marco Rubio sweats a lot or not <laughs> is not germane to his policy on gun control or his advocacy for health care reform, et cetera.
1: Yeah. All right, um, the third fallacy that I wanted to talk about, which I find happens all the time, even in common conversations, is hasty generalizations. Uh, This is where you have too small of a sample size of a population, and then you're making a large generalization about them. Um, One specific example I can think of off the top of my head is uh, at work. I work for uh, event services, and we had a group that was, Um, all French they were holding an award ceremony um, for their faculty and kind of group with their students and after experiencing uh, one bad encounter with the uh, coordinator who was rude and tried to not talk in um, English uh, as much as possible with us, making it pretty hard. Um, The staff made generalizations that all French are rude or that they all do not want to communicate in English with us. And then turns out later on the night they find that it was an enjoyable night, an enjoyable experience for all. Most if not all of the other attendees uh, were willing to A speak English, B make jokes with them and have a pleasant encounter. Uh, We can also see the same thing all around uh, U Waterloo's campus. I find students often make a pitch against another faculty uh, just due to someone they've encountered, Uh, so I myself am an art student here and I've had a friend once uh, say that all engineers are super arrogant because of her one old roommate. Um, So obviously that can't be true. I'm sure there are some great engineers out there. There are some French people willing to speak English and they're not all rude. Um, So we want to avoid making hasty generalizations. Uh, We're not going to talk about how all Mexicans are,
0: are rapists. That's probably Trump's most famous <laughs> I uh, comments. To, I wanted um,
1: to stray away from okay. too many too many Trump examples, but yeah, that well, definitely... There you go. There's
0: another hasty generalization. Yeah, there's
1: another uh, hasty or
0: generalization. Or all Mexicans are drug dealers, <laughs> dealers or whatever. That is. I once made a mistake in class when I was talking about this example of... I used to cite uh, Dutch people because Dutch people are so incredibly nice and easy to get along with. So I was using this example that, you know, if my wallet got stolen by a Dutch person, I could think all Dutch, person, Dutch people are criminals. And, of course, I had a Dutch student that year who Yikes. was not happy about that. Yeah. Um, I was using Dutch people as examples. But, uh, yeah, all these are great examples. Hasty generalizations, I wanted to say this, that the, so the process of generalizing, the process of moving to the particu- from the particular to the, the more general is a normal kind of mental process. It's something that we are all prone to doing but it becomes a fallacy when the strength of the conclusion we draw is on insufficient evidence. So sometimes we can draw broader conclusions when we have enough evidence in front of us, and sometimes that evidence or that conclusion can be qualified in certain ways. But when the conclusion is not based on any evidence or insufficient evidence, and it's so strong, like all engineers are arrogant, all Mexicans are drug dealers— There's such a strength to that conclusion that it's unwarranted by the evidence in front of us.
1: Mm -hmm. All right. Um, Another fallacy that you may come across in your own public speaking or maybe others is the straw man fallacy. So, this is the tendency to misrepresent a counter argument uh, in a weaker version. Uh, we're going to go to another political example, but not necessarily Trump. Uh, there was a point in time where Bernie Sanders says that he wanted to end Medicare and Affordable Health Care um, and But to do so, he wanted to replace these with universal health care. Um, Hillary Clinton took a part of his argument and said, oh, you know, he just wants to end Medicare and uh, Affordable Healthcare Care Acts because he just wants to dismantle Medicare. He doesn't, he doesn't want to fulfill it with anything else. Um, and trying to um, give Sanders this uh, idea that he hasn't thought all things through or that he is not doing anything good for uh, the Americans. Um, So here we can see that Hillary kind of uh, misrepresented his argument in a weaker fashion in order to make it not seem so strong.
0: That's a typical, very, very typical thing for any politician to do. And it's always... I've always been a little bit surprised that it's never occurred to any single politician to not do that, that they might come across as thoughtful or intelligent or engaged if they didn't do that. Uh, I mean, Trump does this all the time right now, and he's accusing the Democrats on, of uh, wanting open, porous borders, which, of course, <laughs> is foolish, like no Democrat ever says anything remotely close to that. So he just demeans them by creating a straw man to attack
1: You know what else Trump does? What? The argument ad numerum. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, He, so that, um, the argument ad numerum is the idea that um, you are trying to support a claim by saying because everyone believes it or a large group of people believe it, that it's true. Uh, So one of the things that he did after he gained election and uh, won as president, um, or was elected, I should say, He went on to say that due to a a poll, which I would probably suggest it might be biased, but that's my own personal bias, um, that the ABC News and Washington Post poll said that almost all stand by their vote to vote him as president, and that 53% said he was a strong leader. So here he's trying to prove that yes, he should have been elected, and yes, he's a strong leader, just because 53% of people uh, believe that it's true. It's a claim that has no supporting evidence, no verifying validity of what makes him a good leader and how he is so strong. Um, there's nothing that he said he's done to be titled as such. Um, so again, uh, we have a, a fallacy in what Trump likes to uh, spread specifically about himself.
0: Yeah, the news the, the network news does this an awful lot. They are take a poll of anything, really. And sometimes if the assumption is that if 60% of people believe X, then it's a good idea. We're seeing this kind of in the gun control debate right now where mm-hmm. 70-something percent of Americans want stricter uh, gun control measures. And I want stricter gun control measures, too. But the reason to have them is not the fact that 68% of the people think that it's a good idea. The reason it has to do with the substance or, or what the effect of the policy would be. Um, it's got to do with the substance of the, poli- the policy not the percentage or total number of people that support it. A lot of people support a lot of really stupid things that are not good <laughs> ideas. And and so it's just never, never true that the more people that support something makes that thing uh, valuable or true or accurate or good.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we also know that there's so many um, biases that agree. Sometimes people just agree with the larger group just to be part of the larger group and uh, be accepted into the status quo. Yeah. So there's all those problems as well with that.
0: Yeah, social proof. We, you know, we, yeah. we do things other people do because uh, we want to be like them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why one of the reasons why um, arguments by numbers never, ever can be trusted.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, the last fallacy we're going to cover is slippery slope. So here it's a suggestion that a series of events were caused by one Uh, Event or something that was done. So again, last but not least, we're going to mention Trump for the last time in this podcast, I promise. Um, So he went on to say, why why does Mexico beat us at the border? They're laughing at us. um, They're laughing at our stupidity. And then he says the next series is that they're beating us economically. And then he says, because of that, uh, the U.S. is a dumping ground for everyone and everyone else's problems. So here we can see that Trump is trying to suggest that Mexico is the cause of all problems again kind of going back to what Rob mentioned earlier when he says you know all Mexicans are um frauds and they're um illegally going over the border so on and so forth um so he's trying to just base everything off of one event um which is Slip recently.
0: So if one thing follows another, it doesn't necessarily mean the thing that came before it is the cause. And it doesn't necessarily mean something else will happen afterward. Uh, okay, so great. I wanted to come back to the point you were making earlier just by way of, of conclusion. Why are we talking about these things? Why are these things so important? Uh, the other day in class... Uh, we were talking about one of the unique features of public speaking is the power it has to affect so many people. Mm-hmm. So when you have one person addressing many people, the effect that that one person is having on those many people is uh, is more, it, there, there's more effect than there is if it's a one-on-one conversation or a small group conversation, or even sometimes in writing. So the reason these fallacies can be so troubling or so important to watch out for in public speaking occasions is because of the work they're able to do, the, the effect they're able to do on large numbers of people. And then when you take examples of presidential rhetoric or political rhetoric in, in general, um, you know, Trump for better or worse right now has a huge megaphone. So every time he engages in some sort of public speaking and employs fallacious reasoning or uses a fallacy, that fallacy has an effect on an audience greater than the effect that I might have on one person or the, uh, the couple, 20 people that listen to this podcast or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's added responsibility for a public speaker to avoid or not engage in these kinds of fallacies because those techniques do have lasting and powerful effects. Uh, okay, so Megan, you wanna summarize the, what did we do, four or five fallacies that we covered mm-hmm. really quickly?
1: Summarize them all together? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, we want to avoid making sure that we don't commit fallacies like the false dilemma. So, again, um, making sure that you're offering more than just two very limited options. Um, you want to make sure that you're not attacking a person um, personally, but rather their claim. So, again, not committing the ad hominem. Uh, we want to make sure that we're not making hasty generalizations about a, uh, a group or an idea. Uh, We want to make sure that we're not committing the straw man fallacy, which is misrepresenting uh, the counter argument in a weaker fashion. Um, We want to make sure we're not like Trump and do the argument ad numerum, which is where we uh, try to say that a belief is true just because everyone says so or a large group says so. And we don't want to commit the slippery slope, which is a suggestion that a series of events is caused by one proposition or event. Um, and we want to avoid doing all of this because we want to make sure that the persuasion that we're um, kind of working with is done ethically because it builds your ethos as a speaker. Um, it ensures that you have sound arguments so that it's harder for other people to critique or even refute your ideas. And then also being aware of such fallacies allows you as a speaker then to realize potential errors and errors in reasoning in counterarguments so that you can have a strong reputation against them. Again, building both ethos and logos as a speaker.
0: Great. Uh, Thanks, Megan. And uh, we'll be back next week with uh, a couple more episodes about public speaking skills. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye for now.